But so today we're closing out a three-week mini-series on words, and we'll come return to the book of Proverbs in the new year. But today we're considering words that specifically heal. And Proverbs does this wonderful, wonderful thing for us that, that highlights that words can actually bring healing to relationships, but it's not just words. It's also an attitude, and it's this idea of forgiveness. That Proverbs is, it highlights that forgiveness demonstrates love. And so we truly forgive those whom we love. And that's the idea and the words that we're going to be considering uh, this morning. And we have three verses from the book of Proverbs. You can follow along as I read them. You can look inside your worship guide, look up on the wall behind me. But let's give our careful attention to the hearing, the reading of God's word. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And then Proverbs 17, verse 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 19, verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your good word that you have given us. And so, Father, as we hear about love overlooking offenses, Father, we thank you for the love that you have shown us and the forgiveness that you have demonstrated to us and given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, and we just pray now that you would bless this time where we consider your word. May your word be planted deep in our hearts. In, our Christ's name, in Christ's name I pray, amen. In the award-winning TV show, Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso is a football coach from the Midwest, and he goes over to England to begin coaching your soccer, in other words, European football in the English Premier League. And so Ted Lasso, on his first day, he shows and demonstrates unca- un- uncanny kindness that he shows kindness to the kit man named Nate. He gives him a nickname, Nate the Great. This is a, a young man who is often overlooked and treated with a certain disdain by the players, by the organization, the owners. But And then Ted even goes on and uses a play that Nate designed. A journalist finds this out, and he's like, who came up with that amazing play? And Ted just points at essentially the ball boy. says, that guy did. He's like, you're using a play on the English Premier League level designed by your kit man? He's like, well, yes. And there's this wonderful relationship that we see there between Ted and Nate. But then something happens. Nate began to resent Ted. His feelings were hurt. He was let down and disappointed in Ted. And so he would go on to betray Ted. He would go to a journalist and share personal news about crippling anxiety and a panic attack. And so he goes on to leave the club and begins to work for the rivals. And so it was nothing less than a betrayal. In fact, Nate was looking to punish Ted. Because what was going on in Nate's heart is that there was a hurt he could not get over. And he had a forgiveness problem. I'll come back to Ted Lasso in a bit. 
But as we hear that story, the reality is so do we. We also have a forgiveness problem. As Christians, we're called to demonstrate and practice and embrace forgiveness, but this is something that we all struggle with. And as we consider this whole idea of forgiveness and these words of healing, let's first understand what forgiveness is. What is forgiveness? And we, Because we read about forgiveness right away in Proverbs 10, verse 12, that hatred stirs up strife. And love covers all offenses. See, Proverbs begins to talk about forgiveness by using this phrase, love covers offenses. That connects this idea of forgiveness to love. That in other words, what we see in how Proverbs talks about this is that forgiveness is motivated by love. That it is out of love that you, mo- you overlook wrongs. And this ought to sound very familiar to you because this is a theme that is all over Scripture. 1 Peter 4.8, the apostle Peter tells the church in Rome to maintain, above all, so in other words, this is of utmost importance, above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sin. That's 1 Peter 4.8. And then there is the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So this idea of that love covering offenses is a theme throughout all of Scripture. But one other thing to highlight about forgiveness from Proverbs is that Proverbs naturally takes an idea and contrasts it with the opposite. This is just how Proverbs work. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. If you want to learn about hard work and, and if you're lazy, you look at those who, ha- who demonstrate a good work ethic. This is wisdom and laziness. There's this contrast. But what Proverbs 10:12 does is it highlights here's hatred on one side and love on the other. So we learn something about forgiveness by considering its opposite. Hatred, like hatred is when you want the other person to fail. You want the other person to be punished. You want the other person to suffer. That's what hatred is. And love is, is its complete opposite. So just to put all this together, when you think about what is forgiveness, the answer is that instead of making someone suffer or be miserable, you actually refuse to go down that path. Instead of wanting the worst for someone, you actually want what is best for them. And Proverbs 17.9 connects this attitude to our words. To forgive means that we want the offender, the person who has hurt us, to have the right relationship with God, themselves, others, and even ourselves. And so when we forgive, we're holding out the, the hope in the Holy Spirit that in God that he will bring about a heart change within them. So no longer are we daydreaming about their ruin and and their demise, but we're daydreaming about their restoration. That is what forgiveness is. But also just to highlight forgiveness, and again, but by clarifying what it's not. One word that we often use and rightly use when we talk about forgiveness is this idea of reconciliation. And we don't have the time to get into reconciliation today, But the idea of reconciliation is that there definitely takes two people at least 
perhaps three people, to reconcile. But to highlight this about forgiveness, to forgive someone only takes one person. And that is important for us to consider when we think about what is forgiveness. Because we have this calling from God to forgive. But the reality is, forgiveness is hard. It is really hard. Jesus taught about forgiveness on several occasions. One is in Matthew 6, that's the Lord's Prayer. And then another time is Matthew 18, there's this parable of the unforgiving servant. But in both of these occasions, he uses the language of debt to convey an idea that is intrinsic to forgiveness. And that word is debt. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, is the Lord's Prayer. So when you forgive someone, you are actually forgiving someone who has done wrong against you, and you're absorbing that hurt. You are absorbing that cost. You're bearing that cross, in other words. So in forgiveness, rather than retaliation, you're bearing that cost. You make that intentional decision on your part to say, I'm going to carry this. And that, but once again, it's hard. But as you're hearing this, forgiveness is inconceivable in a lot of ways. It's inexplainable in a lot of ways. How do you explain this? But when you look at the pages of Scripture, you see example after example of forgiveness. Not just from God, not just in the life of Jesus, but you see it in Joseph, you see it in Hosea, you see it in Isaiah, Stephen, Paul. You see it all over. But think about Joseph for a moment. Joseph was treated cruelly by his brothers. He was tossed into a pit. He was sold into slavery. And then they go and tell his dad and lie to him and say he was killed by a wild animal. Years later, when they were reunited, Joseph forgave them. He pointed them to the Lord's hand of redemption in his life and their life. He embraced them and with a wonderful hug and tears. There was this embrace of reconciliation. But, that, and he, but he uses the words, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. There's this incredible picture of forgiveness there. Think about Hosea, a prophet that the Lord called to marry a promiscuous woman. He, and he was faithful to her while she was faithless to him. There's Isaiah and many of the other prophets who are preaching God's word to Israel. And they are hardening their hearts against him and saying, we're not going to listen. And yet there's time and time again a forgiveness that they overlook hurts and wrongs against them in order to preach the gospel to Israel out of love for them. Then there's Stephen, which blows my mind. And a person who was, who was made a deacon in the early church, and yet he was taken, and then he would, after preaching, and he was stoned. And as he was being stoned to death, as people were throwing stones at him, he turns and says, Father, forgive them. Overlook this is what Stephen says. But then one of the men who was there was Paul. Well, Paul, he wrote 1 Corinthians 13, and he wrote many, uh, m- many books of the New Testament, but time and time again of Paul's own life, there's time and time again of forgiveness. Think about Jesus' life upon the cross. He's being crucified. Just think about that fact for a moment. He's being crucified, nails going through his hands and his feet, his back is whipped, he has, he's bleeding from the forehead, someone puts a spear in his side, and he's being mocked and jeered. He's bearing the wrath that my sins deserved. He's bearing the wrath that your sins deserved. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Throughout the pages of Scripture, time and time again, there is a moment of forgiveness, example of forgiveness, one after another. And these examples are inspiring. They're inspiring to me. Perhaps they're inspiring to you. But it's like, I want to be more forgiving. This is beautiful. But there's the reality, and I've said this already, that forgiveness is hard. So why is forgiveness hard? This is the example, this is the call of Christ that he gives to us. Love overlooks offenses, but why is this so hard? Well, there's a few reasons, and I've already said that forgiveness is hard, um, and it's connected to our hurt. I'll come back to hurt in a moment, but first let's highlight one reason why forgiveness is hard, is that our world does not encourage forgiveness. Our world encourages vindictiveness. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In our culture, we make mountains out of molehills. And Tim Keller, in his book, Forgive, he writes this, People today are encouraged to respond with outrage to even the slightest offense. This is cancel culture. And what this does, it atrophies our abilities to overlook slights and ultimately sweeping away the very categories of forgiveness and reconciliation. And this produces a culture that is littered with numbers of fragmented, broken, irreparable relationships. Instead of seeing other people as mistaken, they're seen as evil, and therefore people are simply discarded and, and pushed away. Two more writers, Alan Jacobs, he writes that the great moral crisis of our day is not the sexual revolution, but rather vindictiveness. And what actually most striking to me is John Perkins, a man who lived during the civil rights era. His own brother was murdered. And an incredible story for John Perkins. But he experienced great hate in his life, as, especially as a child. And he writes this, that this is the first generation, and he's speaking of today, this is the first generation to turn hate into an asset. Just to highlight, our culture, our world does not encourage forgiveness, but vindictiveness. So that is one challenge. But the real challenge to forgiveness is actually in our own hearts. That forgiveness, this is actually what makes forgiveness hard. It's our hearts. The second thing that makes, our, that makes forgiveness hard is our hearts. Because forgiveness means to absorb the cost and, and of wrongdoing against us, that we don't hold it against them. And so forgiveness involves real hurt. That's something that's been said already, that it hurts. But if we're not careful to process our hurts, the ways that we have been hurt with the Lord by crying out to him with tears and vocalizing our pain against him with laments, then we allow our hearts to turn, we allow our hearts to, t to turn bitter, to turn resentful, and to seek to punish others. You know, a while back, I was processing forgiveness with a mentor, um, and he was helping me to see how this happens in my own heart. And he gave me something that's been helpful in my own life, and I actually want to share it with you. But he highlights there's a life cycle of resentment. There's a life cycle of resentment that we have this hurt. When we are hurt, no one likes to be hurt. I think we can all agree there. No one likes to be hurt. But hurt then we step into another thought of like, you know, I don't deserve this. I deserve better. There's this idea of entitlement there. I deserve better. And then entitlement moves on to jealousy, where it's like, I want to feel better. I want what they have. And then th that jealousy, if you're not careful, moves into envy. And envy, this is Frederick Buechner, he says that 
Envy is the consuming desirable to make everyone else as miserable as you are. You know, when my back is hurt and I'm lying on the couch because of my slipped disc or something, you can ask my wife, I am miserable and I want everyone else to join me in my misery. That's envy right there. But if I'm not careful, then I'll seek to punish others. So like even in, in that moment of physical hurt, I can lash out at other people and try to punish them. But that's what hurt happens in our lives where there's that hurt to entitlement, to jealousy, to envy, to punishment. And so that idea of punishment is like we want to punish those who have hurt us. That's how our heart works. There. That's the life cycle of resentment. That's the life cycle of retaliation. But do you notice this? That at every turn, when there's hurt, there's that entitlement, there's that en- jealousy, envy, punishment. At every turn, we can go to the, the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to minister to my hurt right now. And you're the only one I can. That right now, I'm being jealous. I need you to work in my heart and not be jealous. I need you to actually embrace this with some contentment. I need you to help me here. But we don't do that. And what that shows me about my heart is that we are, I am, incredibly self-centered. And that's ultimately what makes forgiveness hard. Because we are self-centered. Our hearts are self-centered. And we have to die. This is Jesus, Luke 6. That we have to die to ourselves in order to forgive. That's something that just cuts very deep, that we need to die to ourselves in order to forgive. In fact, our own practice of forgiveness reveals something about how we grasp and understand the gospel, that our practice of forgiveness reveals that we have experienced or we haven't experienced God's love. Our practice of forgiveness is either going to reveal that we have experienced God's love or we have not. And Jesus seemed to make it stronger than that in Matthew 6. The Lord's Prayer. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. So if you just take that verse on the face of it, without looking in the larger context of Scripture, it seems to say that, that Jesus is telling us to pray that lo- the Lord can use our standard, our practice of forgiveness as the standard for his forgiveness of our sins. And whoa, I don't want that for my life, and I hope you don't want that for you. Because scripture clearly teaches that we are saved by grace through faith alone. That is Jesus Christ and what he has done for us upon the cross. That is the only thing that can save us and rescue us. So what Jesus is actually telling us here in Matthew 6 is that if we do not forgive one another, then either we're stunted in our own Christian maturity or we might not be Christians at all. That's actually what Jesus is saying. That forgiveness is... Our practice of forgiveness is a window into how well we understand the gospel. How well do we understand the gospel? And so how can you tell? How can you tell? Is our practice of forgiveness. So we, what Proverbs once again does, we saw this in Proverbs 10, 12. There's this contrast. We, we know actually what, pro, what forgiveness does not look like. And what's been helpful to me is Ruth... Batstone in her book, Moving On, Beyond Forgive and Forget, she has this short section of indicators of a heart that does not forgive. And I just want to share a few of these things with you. And so, so what she says, that when I forget what Christ has done for me, then I want others to pay for their sins they committed against me. 
And some of these indicators. What was once a warm relationship suddenly turns chilly or cold. I desire to control everything that I can about the other person, even being demanding. I'm critical. I complain. Demanding the other person to acknowledge every little detail, and I cannot rejoice in who they are. I take opportunities to warn others to be careful for them. In my heart, I'm rooting for them to fail. And she goes on and on. And But as I read those words, I'm like, I see my heart even being this way. Do you, does that, any of that sound familiar to you? And so the point to all this is, is really, or really the question that arises at this time is how can we grow in forgiveness? How can we grow in forgiveness? Well, once again, Jesus says it for us. That it is actually going to be rooted in the forgiveness of our sins as demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ. And there, there's a few th- essential things that come from our heart for us to expose, experience God's forgiveness, but also to empower forgiveness in our own life so that we can grow. So the first thing to highlight is humility. That you and I, we are sinners who have nothing to brag about. That none of us can have swagger in our life with God. In the BBC series Broad Church. Uh, The mystery in this TV series is who in this little seaside town has murdered a little boy? And so there's a local detective, Ellie Miller, and she insists that no one in this little community could have done this. Because this is a tight-knit small town. Everyone loves one another and cares for one another. It's full of good people. We do not have these problems here. And so in response, uh, another detective argues with her and says this, anyone is capable of murder given the right circumstances. And uh, Ellie responds, well, most people have moral compasses. And the detective responds, compasses break. See, the Apostle Paul sees this within his own heart, and he confesses to his protege, his son of the faith, he confesses to Timothy and, and says, I am the chief of sinners. See, we're spiritually bankrupt, that we're all here this morning as beggars, and we have nothing, absolutely nothing to offer to the Lord. And he is the one, not, he is the one who went to the cross to do something very specific for us, that we are the ones who deserved God's wrath and punishment. What Jesus did is that he went to the cross, and he faced God's wrath for, on our behalf. That he, de- that he bore the punishment that we deserved because we are sinners. And so this is the first thing of, of forgiveness. To experience God's forgiveness, to grow in forgiveness, takes humility. And Scripture is full of example after example of God's love and patience shown to sinners, to serious offenders. Think of some examples. Think of Moses losing his t- temper and striking the rock. Think of weak husbands like Abraham, unfair fathers like Isaac, liars like Jacob, restful runaways like Jonah, prostitutes like Gomer and Rahab, adulterers and murderers and abusers of power like David, womanizers like Solomon, big mouths like Peter, crooks like Zacchaeus, demoniacs like Mary Magdalene, and the list goes on. That is wonderful. Because here we have this incredible list of a wonderful reality that God loves sinners. 
God shows his favor and his pursuit and his faithfulness to sinners. And so do you understand your desperate need of grace, that you are here, that I am here, and we have nothing, absolutely nothing to offer to God? See, when we understand this, not only, when we understand this, there's something that happens in our heart, and there's joy. And this is the second thing that empowers forgiveness. Joy empowers forgiveness because we need to take joy. We need to delight in our own forgiveness. Joy is infectious, and we should seek to share that joy with one another, that we want others to be joyful because our own sin has been forgiven, our own wrong, our iniquity, our transgressions. All the wrongs that we have done against God, God has forgiven them. That God loves you. He is faithful to you, even though of, he actually, God knows everything about you. He knows you at your worst, and he knows you at the be, your best. He knows the wrongs that you have, you have done. He knows the good things that you haven't done. And yet God loves you all the same. And so when you have this humility that sees yourself as one who is deserving condemnation, but then you have the joy of knowing God's love expressed to you through Jesus Christ, that's what, what empowers you to let go of grudges, resentment, bitterness, the desire for revenge, and so much more. You're able to let go of that because the Father, the creator of all things, has given his wonderful yes in you, and he delights in you. That you are enabled to grow in forgiveness because you are forgiven by God. And that is an incredible joy. I said earlier I wanted to come back to Ted Lasso. I'm coming back to Ted Lasso. So a turning point in, in Nate's story, and spoilers if you haven't seen season three. A turning point in Nate's story is actually when the assistant coach approached him and shared his own story. The assistant coach was hooked on drugs at one point in his life, and the only person who helped him out was, was Ted. And the, the assistant coach repaid Ted's love and kindness by stealing Ted's car. And so the police caught him, and the police brought the assistant coach and the car back to Ted. And Ted goes on to say, hey, I let him borrow the car. He didn't steal it. There's been no wrong against me. And such is love. Such is love. And that story, that's actually what changed Nate's heart. When Nate experienced the forgiveness uh, and saw that forgiveness in someone else's life, that's what changed in his heart. But such forgiveness is meant to change our hearts as well. Because what God has done, God has overlooked the wrong that we have done because Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. He's the one who absorbed the cost of our sins against him. This is how God treats us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Psalm 103, which we heard earlier, that as far as east from west is distant, he has put away our sins. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it, as far as sunrise from sunset. That's very beautiful. He has put away our sins. See, when we experience this forgiveness that God shows us, that God loves us, that he champions us and he cares for us, when we experience this, we ought to want others to experience it as well. It is God's forgiveness that empowers our own forgiveness. It changes our words, our attitudes, of, and our actions of how we relate to one another. But it is 
because of God's promise to fully and completely forgive us, that we're enabled to come out of our hiding, out of a life of excuses, blame-shifting, defensiveness, self-righteousness, self-protection, and so much more to confess our sins because God wants to do a wonderful work in my life. God wants to do a wonderful work in your life. That God wants to break down our hearts so that we are no longer living for ourselves, but now we're living with him and we can enjoy every blessing. Once again, Psalm 03. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord and forget not his benefits. He forgives your guilt. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and he crowns you with glory and steadfast love. This is our wonderful life with God. Let's enjoy it. And let's help one another to experience this by growing in forgiveness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful, good word. That as we hear of love overlooking offenses, Father, we know this is true. This is how you treat us. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to hear your word, that your word would take deep root in our hearts, that your word would change us from the inside out, that you would help us to grow more loving, that we would put aside hatred, that we grow more forgiving to help us. And so, Father, we pray for your wonderful spirit's work in our life. We thank you for the forgiveness that you have shown us. And we just pray for your help in growing in this way. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.